0: Okay, so our last topic tonight and for the course here is the, the question of communion or sometimes called the Lord's Supper. I'm going to call it communion because I, uh, I think it really communicates uh, what we really want to accomplish tonight. Uh, again, just like baptism, uh, communion, there's a tendency to think of it strictly in personal and vertical terms. It's uh, sort of a private celebration of what Jesus has done for me. And there is a piece of that there. Uh, but as we're going to see tonight, communion can only be rightly celebrated in community. Okay, uh, Which is, again, why we include it among the church ordinances. It's not just a Christian ordinance that is that is open to all Christians, but rather it's a church ordinance celebrating church truth and celebrating the church itself. Okay, so you can see here uh, that uh, I've, I've given a title to this, Ensuring Congregational Purity by Maintaining Community in the Church. And so I see if we can't uh, put those elements together here as we talk about this all-important right of uh, the uh, Christian Church. Uh, so meaning of communion, just as baptism, has a twofold meaning, right? We're, we're celebrating our union with Christ personally and corporately. So also communion does the same thing. So baptism is an entry right, initiation right into the community. The Lord's Table serves as a continuation right, in which believers perpetually re-examine and celebrate their communion with each other that was established by baptism. And so we're going to look not only at the personal and vertical uh but the corporate and horizontal aspect of communion, which again I think is the the uh, greater uh emphasis uh in the scripture here. But both are right here. Okay? So the believer firstly celebrates his individual union with Christ, identifying with his body and blood, including the imputation of the obedience of Christ to my account I have union with Christ and therefore I celebrate that routinely that I have been personally united with Christ and we're bid to do this, right? Take, eat, this is my body, my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, okay? So something was done for me by Jesus Christ and I celebrate that regularly. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you can have no life in yourselves. Now, I, I, again, I don't know that that's necessarily a reference here to communion here. I think it's if you don't participate in Christ and all that he has done in his, in his earthly ministry and cross work, then you don't have cause for hope, uh, in this life. First Corinthians ten sixteen, just before the uh, major portion in chapter 11 on on communion, 1 Corinthians 10, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation, a personal participation in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread we break, a participation in the body of Christ. So we're celebrating the fact that we have participated, we have been united personally with Christ. And we find three times in 1 Corinthians 11, do this in remembrance of me. So we're supposed to call to mind, what Jesus did personally on the cross for us. Again, the point here is not so much a memory, but a, 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 an observance, a reliving an internal cogitation on the significance of the events of the cross and of uh, that, which follows just kind of like, kind of like remember the Sabbath day. It's not just, Oh, it's Saturday. It's, it's observe it, recognize it. Um, and, 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 uh, And uh, cogitate, think about what it means. And so that's what it means to remember the Sabbath day. So this do in remembrance of me, that's the point here in communion. But we're also celebrating the continuing corporate union that we have with the gathered body, the Church of Christ. So communion is more than just a memorial of my personal individual union with Christ, it's a celebration of the union that all of us have with one another. And this is interestingly enough the primary emphasis in First Corinthians 11, which is a long section. now I, I don't know uh, how your church uh, celebrates communion, but I, I, I suspect that it's uh, you you routinely, uh, read sections of First Corinthians 11, and it's a long passage, 18 verses here. So sometimes it gets truncated, just uh, just for uh, for uh, convenience sake, and and sometimes we we chop off the the beginning and the end, and concentrate on what's in the middle. And uh, sometimes and 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 in doing that, sometimes we miss a bit of the context of what Paul's talking about, and 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 we sort of lose sight of the primary purpose of this chapter, or at least this half of chapter uh, that Paul gives to us. So let's read the whole thing just so we can get a picture of what's going on here. He says here in 1 Corinthians 11, Now, in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, for the worse. Wow, Paul. Well, to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, in part I believe it, There must indeed be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized by you. So there's a sense in which there is a place for disunion in the life of the church if someone doesn't belong, and that's what he's saying here. And that can be taken care of, as we're going to see here, at at the at the at the, at, at communion. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Therefore, when you come together, it's not really to eat the Lord's Supper. If you're, if you're exhibiting divisions, you're not really coming together to celebrate community if you're celebrating the divisions. Okay? Uh, so when you come together, it's not really to eat the Lord's table because at that meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of the others.
1: Right, so one
0: person is hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat in and to drink in? do you look down on the church of god embarrass those who have nothing what should i say to you should i praise you in this i do not praise you for this so he's uh, perhaps a little bit of background that perhaps you might you might miss in the white spaces here um of course the uh, corinthian church like many of the uh, first century churches is a you know a a a church that has a very broad uh, economic range of people there There they're wealthy people in whom in whose houses the church typically would meet for sometimes on a rotation basis these these people had much time for leisure they usually didn't have to work or work much and so they would set aside days hey we're gonna have we're gonna have a communion event we're gonna have a we're gonna have a big meal together okay everybody come over come over at you know noon we'll we'll spend the day Well, the problem was that there were many in that uh, church that were in the slave class. In fact, all dressed as slaves. A couple of times in this book, these people worked all day long, you know, sun up, sun down, and really didn't have an occasion to have any private time at all until after the sun went down. So pretty late, and they were trickling. They would come trickling in to this celebration here as it's as it's winding down. There's nothing left. No food. Uh, and the people who perhaps could, could most have benefited by having some food and something to drink, there's nothing left for them because the party's already mostly over. And Paul says, this is just not the way it ought to be. Okay. And then he goes on, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you on the night in which I was betrayed. The Lord, Jesus took bread, gave, gave thanks broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. So he's reiterating what Jesus said. Now he brings it back to this context of eating and drinking in the wrong way. So sometimes we we concentrate on that paragraph, which is an important paragraph, certainly, but we lose sight of the context. Therefore, he says, whoever eats eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, so what does that mean? What does it mean to eat or drink in an unworthy manner? Well, we get a clue in the next line. Examine yourself and then eat the bread and drink the cup okay so and and oftentimes churches uh will say okay here here's an occasion here you know as the, as the elements are being distributed take some time make sure that things are right between you and god and again i don't want to diminish that practice i think it's a good thing but i think paul actually has something else in mind in this passage why because he tells us exactly the the kind of 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 disregard uh of the the body of christ which amounts to an unworthy eating and drinking what does he say here whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself so so the primary concern here is not so much sins personally directed towards god but rather sins against the body okay This is why many are sick among you. Many have fallen asleep because you've eaten, chowed down, even got drunk, and, and not regarded the Lord's body. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, Paul says, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So what do we have to do to bring things together and eat in a worthy way? Well, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. Primary thing, okay? Make sure everybody's there before you start the party, okay? That's the the primary way that that Paul says that this community can make sure that they're eating and drinking in a worthy manner and regarding the whole body, the whole gathered body of Christ. At least wait until everybody's there. Now, we don't have parallel situations here. Uh, I mean, we've got, you know, at best, you know, similar situations going on here. But I think the, the the point of this passage here is not so much that we need to examine ourselves for personal sins against God, but rather sins against the community, okay? And so that's probably the concern that should be foremost when we're examining ourselves. And as we're going to see here, that means we probably need to examine, start this examination before you get to church Five minutes before you, you eat the, the body, the, the, you know, the, the elements here. Okay. It's something that probably needs some preparation. And as we're going to see that, that has been historical practice. Although some of those, some of those things I think have sort of, you know, been pushed to the periphery here. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. Uh, you know, I just have a little bit of a summary here and you can see the problem. Uh, the problems and the solutions, okay? So what's the problem? When you come together, it's not really to eat the Lord's table. It's how it starts. It's how it ends. You're eating and drinking, eating the bread and drinking the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. That's the problem. What are the results? Well, you're coming together, not for the better, for the worse. You're sick, even dead. A specific manifestation then. What is the specific problem? You're coming together as a church with divisions, the solution? Recognize the body. You look down on the church of God and embarrass the poor. Each one, as a solution, must evaluate himself and all of us must evaluate us. Another manifestation. One eats his own supper ahead of the others. So the solution? Wait for one another. Okay, And so you can see that, that that's the structuring of this passage. Uh, so so while there is this element here where we are celebrating our personal union with Christ and, and reliving our salvation, recognize that the primary concern that Paul has isn't personal connections with Jesus, but rather corporate connections with the rest of the body. Okay? So it follows then that when, when we examine ourselves, we don't just examine me, but I examine myself in light of everyone else. Okay, We're, so it's not so much to ascertain one's vertical relationship with Christ, but our horizontal relationship with all the members of the body. Okay, so how do we go about then uh, carrying out the Lord's table? Well, as was true with the ordinance of baptism, The church is the only proper administrator of the Lord's table. It's a church ordinance. It's not just a Christian ordinance. It's a church ordinance because it's a celebration of the church, of the community, of the communion. It needs to be celebrated in community. So we saw here in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, communion was celebrated biblically when you come together as a church. Okay, now... Some of these passages in Acts are descriptive, but I think in 1 Corinthians, this, it's telling us that this is the way it's supposed to be done when you come together as a group. Okay. So really we're not talking about the possibility of a communion service that takes place outside of the church. I'm not talking about outside the church building, but you can't have a communion service that doesn't involve the community and i know i know sometimes there's uh there's practices here where you know a pastor will carry like a a, a one serving communion to uh, somebody in the hospital or shut in or something and it's a kind gesture i know they they're, they mean well uh, but i think they're missing something and and perhaps getting uh, uh, perpetuating a little bit of confusion here right because you can't really celebrate communion by yourself and um and I think sometimes what that communicates is that I need this in order to stay saved. So the pastor needs to come by and give it to me. So like, and so you get this Eucharistic or sacramental view of the communion. And that's just not, you're you're missing something. And in fact, I think Paul would say, you know, that's an unworthy way of eating. Look out, that's dangerous. So don't eat or drink in this unworthy manner, Okay. Arguing from 1 Corinthians 11, we note that Paul says, if you don't all come together, if you don't wait for one another, you're not really eating the Lord's table. You're just having a party. Okay? Because only part of the local body was present. So it follows that communion can't rightly be practiced outside a full meeting of the local assembly of believers. Now, obviously, people can be missed or something of that nature. But... Ordinarily, everybody should be there, and I think we should probably privilege that service as one of the more important ones because God calls us to all come together for this particularly important service. So the idea of a parachurch or ad hoc celebrations of communion, taking communion to shut-in members, is apparently excluded here. Um, I know people do that, and they mean well. But they're but they're missing the point, the biblical point of communion when they do. 1 Corinthians 5.11 indicates as well that the enforcement of church discipline is tied with the communion service as well. So uh, there is after someone is removed from the assembly, in this case, it was a, a situation of incest. Paul says, after you do this, when you eat, you shouldn't eat with them. And most Baptists have looked at that and said, aha, don't share the Lord's table with someone who is under censure of the church and has been removed by church discipline. Okay, He's not part of the community uh, right now because he has been excluded. So don't eat with him. Don't share the table uh, with him. And Baptists have historically taken this very, very seriously. Uh, one of the most frequent reasons offered but for church discipline throughout the history of the Baptist church was a failure or a refusal to attend the Lord's supper. Failure to attend was an intent. It was interpreted either as an expression of disharmony. I'm not going to eat with them or an attempt to avoid accountability. Well, I'm not going to go to that church because I might, because I'm sinning. I might come under church discipline and this will be exposed. So I'm just not going to go. And so people would avoid This particular service in order to avoid accountability to the church and, and, and in the, and again, in the history of Baptist life, this has been really important to make sure that people come to this service. Now, of course, they should come to, you know, all the Sunday morning services, but this one's really important and Paul seems, Paul seems to put special emphasis upon it. So what's the procedure? Well, it's, it's to be practiced perpetually first in the life of the church until he comes now unlike baptism which celebrates the one-time entry point the union that that believer has with christ and with the visible body communion iteratively celebrates the believer's perpetual unity with christ and the church Okay, and it re- revisits, reinforces the believer's commitment to the body of Christ and the duties of church membership. Now, Scripture doesn't say how often; just says, "Do it often, do it as often as you do this in remembrance of Me until He comes." Okay, so how often is often? Well, Scriptures really leave that up to our interpretation. We know a lot of a lot of the churches in the, uh, in, the in the first century uh, celebrated this weekly. Uh, some celebrate it. I think your church celebrates it monthly. That seems to be sort of a fairly standard Amer- Baptist American practice. But uh, some do quarterly. Um, I think that's probably, historically speaking, the majority of Baptists. It's hard to make a big deal about communion if you do it weekly. And since Baptists make a big deal, made a big deal, about uh, baptism, they didn't do it quite as often, perhaps as as uh, we might think. So four times a year, some have gone as as few as once a year. Uh, seems a little bit scant, but uh, again, the scriptures don't actually say how often you have to do it. But once the schedule is established by the church, it should be announced and announced in advance, in order that preparation can be made. Again, the early Baptists typically scheduled communion services fairly infrequently, four times a year was common, and made much of the idea of preparation for this service. So you didn't just walk into church and say, oh, it's communion week. Okay, you see it at the front of the church. Okay, it's something that would have been announced in advance and said, this week is a preparation week. Why was that announced? Well, because if you're going to prepare to celebrate as a unified and united community, then you might need to address some problems, right? Okay, so if you find yourself in disunity with someone in the church, you need to be reminded, hey, next week we're celebrating communion. And if you go through the motions of celebrating communion and you're not in communion with somebody here, that's a problem. It, many are weak and sick among you and many have died because they've done this. So take some time, prepare for the communion service. And they would often talk about communion, as uh, the, the a week before communion, as a preparation week, okay, uh, to make sure that everything's ready, okay? So examining yourselves took some time over the course of a week to make sure that everything was right, not just between you and Jesus, but between you and everybody else in the community, Okay. Interpersonal conflicts then between members should be resolved under pain of chastisement from the church. I think in principle here we've got church discipline. If a brother sins against you, before you get to the communion service, you need to talk to him. You need to resolve this problem. First Corinthians 11 as well. A man should examine himself before eating and drink, drinking because otherwise you could drink judgment to yourself. So before eating, you need to examine yourselves, discipline yourselves because if you don't, God will discipline you or will be condemned with the world. Final steps of church discipline uh, were frequently finalized just before the church uh, before the communion service to make sure that someone who is out of step with the community was not eating and drinking to his own demise. So again we see this passage here in 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul says eliminate take this incestuous person who claims to be a Christian remove him from your midst and don't eat with him. Okay don't eat with that, that that's that's the critical thing because as we're going to find out a few chapters later if you eat together and Pretend there's unity in in obedience to Jesus Christ when there isn't. There's there's real danger associated with it. Okay, so the church then. Uh, so so I, I, it's a little bit negative talking about that, but there's a positive element of that too. Uh, the church uh, should. You know, it's it's just an ideal time to baptize people into membership and bring people into the fellowship just before the communion as well because this is an occasion where we can celebrate the fact that the that the congregation is growing that the community is is expanding and there's new people here we've got new brothers and sisters that are a part of the fellowship as well so don't don't think of this as a as a a negative thing primarily it's 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 a celebration of the community but paul says just make sure that the community is intact before you celebrate it don't just pretend there's a community when there isn't one okay okay so new members by baptism letter experience restored members this is a grand time for to to for, to get up and announce you know so and so was under censure by the church because he was a disobedient and 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 he wants to he wants to make things right with the church he we'll give him the floor for a few minutes here too so that he can express his repentance, and we can welcome him back in, and 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 it can be a grand time of celebration. Okay. Uh, also, sometimes, uh, whether formally or not, there's a there's an invitation for folks who are perhaps out of towners, you know, coming through, and say, you know, you're you're not part of this particular community, uh, but as a but as a gesture of of of, of, of love. Uh, why don't you participate with us? Um, usually you have to say, you know, what, what are the terms of participation because you don't want them to eat or drink in an unworthy manner either. Uh, but this is a good time to celebrate the fact that there are believers outside of your assembly uh, that can be a part of this. So the nature of the event then is established and carried out. Like the timing of the table, the Bible doesn't give guidance to the exact nature of the supper. supper. Obviously, the two elements of bread and wine are obviously non-negotiable. Many American churches limit the celebration to that. The Corinthians, apparently, based on what we just read, uh, enjoyed a full meal, which is a practice, again, that was highly regarded by the early Baptists for its particular value in facilitating meaningful fellowship. I mean where do you have your best fellowship well oftentimes at a, at a meal right you get together you eat you talk you hash things out you 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 enjoy each other's company and then at the end of that there would be a, a, you know a, a solemn coming together and they would celebrate the two elements of the of the lord's table after a fellowship meal okay but the Bible doesn't say you have to do it that way. Uh, when I was interim pastoring just down the road from you in Gibraltar, that's how we did it. Uh, and it was, just, it was just, it really was a refreshing thing. We'd all get together, eat, enjoy each other's company, and then we'd celebrate the community. Well, we were already doing that. We'd already been doing that for an hour. While well, we're eating together, we just formalized it then at the end of that service uh, by taking the, uh, the elements. It really worked well. I, I really enjoyed that, that practice there. Typically, a pastor then distributes the elements to the whole church, often with the help of the deacons. Um, some appeal to Acts six two right? They they waited tables. Okay, uh, probably contextually it's not not serving communion, but uh, it works. Uh, the church can appoint whoever it wants to to help out with this. Uh, there's no instructions here. Okay, some will ask at this time: Do, do you have to use unleavened bread? Because apparently Jesus did, because it was a Passover meal. And do you have to use a single loaf and a single cup? And many, uh, many denominations practice that. You know, a single loaf, which just makes sort of sense, uh, with, if you're celebrating the oneness of the body, to have one loaf makes some sense. To have one cup, large, large chalice, makes some sense. Uh, do you have to do it that way? And do you have to use real wine? That's the question. I don't know. We we don't see that quite so much in Baptists. Baptists have sort of a long history of prohibitionist tendencies. So uh, uh, a lot of Baptists don't use real wine. But you know, get get into Presbyterian circles, Lutheran circles, and that that becomes a, a big question here. You have to have real wine. Well, we do know that the disciples used a common loaf, common cup, and the idea of the unity that this conveys is attractive. It's also, as probably you're thinking right now, a little bit unhygienic, you know, there's a lot of backwash and, you know, I, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, and so I, I recognize why that 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 failed, particularly in the, in the covid crisis. You know, you get these sealed things now. Right. Uh, I assume your church is doing some did something like that as well. Um and it's it's probably true that this was not the universal practice in the early church either. I mean, think about the Jerusalem Church with five thousand people. That's one big loaf of bread. Uh, so it it probably wasn't it wasn't universally practiced that way. Uh, that the bread was unleavened and that the wine was unpasteurized in the original supper is likewise indisputable. It was Passover bread. But the reason here was not so much to symbolize purity but rather right there was no leaven in the passover bread why because of haste so it's 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 not as though the symbolism is particularly strong there or the lack of pasteurization uh so the the idea that you have to use a specific kind of bread or a or a a, a specifically prepared version of the fruit of the vine is probably not something we're probably getting a little bit more precise than the scriptures demand. Uh, so I, I I don't know that the Bible offers a rule in this regard. Okay, so each church is, you know, can be persuaded in their own own mind, if I can put it that way. The Administrator should also review the biblical requirements for fellowship at the Lord's table. I know this seems a little bit pedantic, but it uh, you know this is one thing that Dr. McCune was always big on. You have to do this every time, you know and and uh, sometimes it seems a little bit redundant. you know, okay, we said this last month, the month before and the month before and the month before you're saying the same thing over and again, but the fact is there's new people that come in uh, you've got people who you know are coming back. Uh, you've got people who forget and there is a real seriousness attached to that because if you do it the wrong way, what's the, what's, what's the consequence? Many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. So you just have to be very careful with this. Uh, this is what the Baptist talked about as guarding the table, guarding the table, making sure that it's done properly in, uh, in accordance to what the scripture said because Of the, of of the, of the dangers that are associated with doing it wrong. Okay. So biblically, uh, the pattern here is to see these four elements. First, regeneration. This is the biblical pattern. Those who had received his word were dedicated to the breaking of bread. First Corinthians 11, God's chastisement for eating the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner. Was in lieu of condemnation with the world. It's, 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 the idea here is it's celebrated by people, uh, who have come out of the world and have become part of the fellowship. In fact, he goes on to say, I'm not, I'm not really worried about the sins without. I'm worried about, worried about you. Okay. So regeneration is important. So the theological symbolism, I think as well requires regeneration in order for you to celebrate the continuing benefits of the work of christ you have to have received the benefit of the work of christ you have to be saved okay um you know you you have to be saved you have to be baptized before you take uh take part in communion just logically you have to enter before you can continue okay so baptism uh comes first so biblically secondly baptism Those who were baptized were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread and, again, theological symbolism here. Uh, So it has to be a chronological priority of baptism to the Lord's table. Then church membership. You say, well, I'm I'm not seeing all those details that you're putting here. Well, firstly, let's say that's the biblical pattern. Those who received his word were baptized, added... And were continuing to devote themselves to the breaking of bread. So they were added to the number. Okay, So I think that's code for became members of the church. They were added to the number. I say here the material above on communion as a church ordinance, I think also suggests the necessity for church membership. Communion is observed when you gather together as a church. Now, some churches I recognize don't have a, formal membership per se you know, a list uh, but there but there should be some recognition of who's in and who's out and you celebrate the lord's table when those who are in are there are together as a whole church and paul even affirms that interpersonal accountability to the church union with other believers in the local body was integral to the procedure. You need to make sure that you are recognizing and waiting for everybody in your community. So there is a specific number and group of people that are celebrating the community proper, okay? And those people are identified in some way uh, by being some sort of a membership for that church. Finally then, there needs to be an orderly walk, right? So it's demonstrated above, further below, that one of the more visible results of church discipline is the withholding of the fellowship of the table. And so the table then becomes a God-ordained means of policing and correcting the conduct of her members. Okay, This leads to a question, well, have, have any of you any questions? Let's come up for air here. Uh, any of you have questions up till this point? I have a question, and I
2: don't think it's in this text, any of this discussion, but I think it was in our textbook. Okay. Um, probably the Presbyterian and Reformed traditions—they'll speak of the church and means of grace. One right. being preaching of the word, one being prayer. Yeah. And they'll mention communion. Yes. It's not a saving grace.
0: No, not saving grace. But I think it's. I think it's a legitimate idea to talk about. All of the elements of worship as means of grace, so long as you keep that 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 caveat there. They're not means of saving grace. They're not eucharistic. They're not they're 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 not sacramental, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches. Okay, so it's not as though they're like help you, right?
2: Strengthens our walk with Christ as part of the community. Is that what you'd say?
0: Right. It doesn't save us. It doesn't keep us saved. It doesn't contribute to our salvation. Rather, it is a it is a means of 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 grace that is communicated. The grace that is I mean there's grace that's, you know, we communicate grace to the hearers, right? When we talk to each other, when we fellowship with one another, when we hear the preaching, grace is communicated to us. Okay, right? Again, not saving grace, but sustaining grace, which we all need. And so yeah, I, I think it's legitimate to talk about Communion as a means of grace, so long as you have that caveat, not saving grace, but sanctifying save, and, and, and sustaining grace.
2: Cause I would say, you know, it's more than just a memorial, like going to a Memorial Day parade.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's chiefly a memorial. Um, yes. but it's a memorial that, you know, has spiritual value and benefit real benefit. Other thoughts, questions? Okay, so the question then, our next question is what who gets to be part of this? We've already said it's the church, right? Okay, so what about people who are coming through town and they happen to visit your church? What do you do with them? I mean do you do you invite them to participate? Do you, uh, what's the procedure? And there's a number of views that the church has held over the the years. I want to sort of examine those and see which one holds up best under biblical scrutiny. Okay, so the question here is whether a host church can or must include Christians who are visiting that are outside of their own membership. And it's been a matter of some debate, okay? And even vitriol in the history of Baptist life. And, uh, we're going to see here that there's three concerns, uh, th- three options, open communion, pretty much let anybody in who's saved, uh, closed communion, the only people who can do this are our people, and then close communion, which is we will cautiously allow others to participate so long as they meet the qualifications. So that's, and that's sometimes called close communion. Okay, and I'm gonna argue for that position. I think we can do that both biblically and theologically here. Okay. So why, why is it such a big deal? Well, the central concern here, um, the determining factor here is the purpose of the Lord's table. Those who hold to open communion, anybody who can anybody can take, usually argue that the rite is intended to celebrate, irrespective of all other differences our common invisible union of believers with Christ, okay? the communion is regularly celebrated in local churches. It's not a church ordinance per se. It's a Christian ordinance or a ordinance of the church at large, okay? So I'm just celebrating me and Jesus. It's a private thing, okay? And so why would you deny someone their own private religious experience? Why would you do that? Uh, they're Christians. Let them celebrate with you. Is is sort of the is the sort of the sentiment. Those who hold to closed or close communion argue that the rite is intended to celebrate not only the invisible union of individual believers with Christ, but also a visible union of believers and local assemblies. As such, it's a local church ordinance, and any celebration of that right outside of a local church represents a failure to properly regard the Lord's body. Okay, these people don't belong to our body. We don't police them. They're from outside. We 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 don't know if they're uh, uh, properly regarding the Lord's body. They're just they just showed up, and so uh, out of an abundance of caution particularly the closed communion says we're not saying you're not a christian we're just saying we don't know and rather than be rather than feed you something that could kill you we're going to take the cautious route and say let's you know we'll, we'll practice closed communion closed communion sort of is that in between position uh, and and stresses how important it is to be rightly related to a church but doesn't actually it uh, doesn't actually prohibit someone from participating just because he's not part of that body. Okay, So open communion is offered without restriction to any professing believer. No inquiry, no stipulation is made that he be baptized, that he be a member of the church, or even that he possesses an order orderly walk. Although sometimes there's a caution made, you know, don't eat this in an unworthy way. Strong offers four reasons for rejecting this position in his systematic theology. First, open communion defies biblical practice. Okay, That's not how they did it in the early church. Second, open communion severely clouds the symbolism of the unity of the local church that is communicated and celebrated at the Lord's table thirdly open communion minimizes the value of baptism and church membership while attaching near sacramental value to communion okay eh, you're not baptized you're not part of a church but go ahead and take this okay well it almost then communicates that this has got some sort of magical value that's going to that's going to either save me, contribute to my salvation, keep me saved, or whatever the case may be. and I think it's really important that we distinguish what's happening in communion from other denominations, uh, particularly the Roman Catholic view that says this is this is something that you need to do in order to stay saved or be saved. okay I think it, it clouds that and then finally. Open communion eliminates accountability of church discipline. Anybody who walks in the door can take it. We we don't we don't know who you are. Uh, just we'll just hand it to you, and uh, you can police yourself. Closed communion is the act is the opposite. It restricts communion to professing believers who are immersed and members in good standing of the host church alone. It's particularly common among Landmark Baptists, but it's not unique to them. Uh, landmark Baptists, if you're familiar, are typically suspicious of the validity of churches. Many landmark Baptists say if your church can't trace its lineage all the way back to John the Baptist, it's not a Baptist church. And so they're very suspicious of a lot of Baptist churches. And so they say, rather than take any risks, we're just going to lock the doors and, and, and close and communion's just for us. Okay. In principle, the practice is valid. I mean, a church can't successfully evaluate the behavior of strangers. I don't know who these people are. Um, It's the safest course of action, then, not to eat with those outside the church. Opening the right to a stranger potentially makes the church an accessory to his crimes and a cause of divine judgment. The reason I, I... pull back from this position is the fact that in the new testament we we actually see instances of people who are not members of a specific local church partaking in the lord's table specifically paul and troas uh we we don't know exactly i, I would guess that paul would be a member of of the church at Antioch. That's where he was, that's near where he was saved, that's where he was discipled. It's where he spends a lot of time before he goes out on his missionary journeys. He's probably a member of the church at Antioch, and yet on his missionary journeys he you actually find him participating in the Lord's table at at churches, and specifically here at Troas. And so we have biblical precedent for churches inviting guests uh, to participate in the Lord's table. So that's, that's really the reason why closed communion, uh, is, is a, is a little bit, uh, a little bit too strict, uh, for, uh, for, for my, for my understanding, which leads me then to closed communion, which restricts communion to professing believers, immersed members in good standing of the serving church or of any church of like faith and practice. This view recognizes that New Testament practice allows for churches to invite to the table those outside their membership. But it is also concerned about assisting a lone ranger Christian who wants to participate without recognizing the Lord's body. You you actually stipulate, these are the kinds of people that we want to celebrate with us. People who are saved, who are baptized, who are rightly related to the body who are rightly regarding the lord's body are you a member of another you're not well maybe out of an abundance of caution here you probably should not be participating in the lord's table because you're not recognizing the lord's body you're not attached you're not a member you're not under the accountability and 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 guidance of a local church so it's best that you back off now most who practice close communion Allow people to, you know, they they give the rules and let people police themselves, which perhaps, perhaps is a loose practice, but that's how typically uh, close pra- close communion works in the early church. Is actually kind of interesting. Uh, in, in early Baptist life, uh, churches would actually send member like if, if a member was going to be on a trip, he was going to you know he was going to you know, of course, people went on long trips, you know, and they would give him a letter. Say, which actually said, this man is a member in good standing of our church. He's baptized and, 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 and converted and he's got a good testimony. And, and you actually carry this letter with you. So you went into the church and they were having communion. You'd say, you you'd come to go pastor before the service and say, here's my letter from my, from my church, which says I'm, 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 I'm authorized, uh, to receive communion and, and that would be often be recognized then a lot of uh, in, and particularly the philadelphia baptist association which really dominated american life uh in the, in the 18th century okay we find that that was uh uh true in the didache as well didache is a is a uh um, as a book of of early church practice uh that uh so, that was written uh as early as the end of the first century probably second century but here's, here's what it says. Let no one eat or drink of your Eucharist unless they have been baptized in the name of the Lord. For concerning also the Lord's has said, give not that which is holy to dogs. Make sure they're saved. But every Lord's day, gather yourselves together, break bread and give thanksgiving after having confessed your transgressions that your sacrifices may be pure. But let no one who is at odds with his fellow come together with you unless they be reconciled. Let your sacrifice not be profane. For this is that which was spoken by the Lord in every place and time. Offered to be pure sacrifices. For I'm a great king, says the Lord. And my name is wonderful among the nations. So in keeping with this policy. Churches that practice close communion. Extend communion as a courtesy. To transient believers who by letter. Or by personal affirmation. Are established to be saved. Baptized members in good standing. With a church of like faith and practice. Now you say, okay, why why are those things singled out? Baptism and church membership. I mean, there's there's oodles of things that we could say. You know, he loves his wife, and he has has you know obedient children, or or you know he, he doesn't swear. Or I mean, why why do we pick these two? Okay, they have to be saved, baptized and members of a church. Well, again. Again, recognize the point of communion here. Uh, while there are other things that people can do wrong in the church, and things that the other commands that God gives to us of things that we need to be doing, these two are of the great of great import, and they're emphasized for three reasons. One, baptism and church membership are highly visible, measurable, biblical benchmarks of obedience. You can say, yeah, do you love your wife? Well, yeah. Well, that, but that, but it's, it's hard to measure that. It's a lot, it's it's very easy to conceal that. Um, and, and so, so, so baptism and church membership are highly visible and measurable benchmarks of obedience. Secondly, they're body centered. Remember, baptism and, and the Lord's table are church ordinances that celebrate the body. Okay. And so your relationship with the body has to be right, right? So Paul's chief concern again in First Corinthians 11 with their practice of communion is that after is, is properly evaluating the body. And so this issue receives similarly high concern. If one is not baptized into membership and into accountability to the local church, he isn't giving much regard to the body. He'd, He doesn't care much about the church. And for that reason, he's not properly regarding the Lord's body for that reason, then he is at greatest risk uh, for taking communion in an unworthy manner. And then finally, baptism and church membership are public matters, of ecclesiastical accountability and purity. Since Paul's chief concern with the practice of communion in 1 Corinthians 5 is protecting public purity. Such issues receive similarly high concern as well. Okay. So that's why we single these out. You say, what, well, why, why are these so important? Well, these are the reasons why these particular issues come to the fore, uh, in communion. Any questions up till this point? Two more questions before we wrap things up here. Should a pastor ever publicly withhold the elements from someone who wants to participate in the communion service? So come somebody comes in and, you know, the, you the, the plate's going past and you can see it. They're going to take it. And you say, I know they shouldn't be taking it. Uh, what should we do? Okay. Well, it's probably... Not a good time to interrupt the service, the solemnity of the service, and stop it right there, okay? At the same time, we don't want to say that it's unimportant, right? Well, if adequate preparations are made, those present will be keenly aware of who is and who is not invited to partake. Uh, So it shouldn't be something that, you know, some sort of an ad hoc spot decision to say, you know, you can't have it, and you can't have it. That's that's going to be very disruptive to the to the practice here, unless that person's under church discipline and he reaches he's like no, you're under church discipline, sorry, okay. Probably the better thing would just simply to be avoid that person. just don't let the plate pass uh, if if that if that's if that's the case. And of course, the onus of 1 Corinthians eleven is for each man to examine himself. There is an obligation for the church not to eat with people in gross sin. And so if somebody comes in that you know is in violation of the of the church's communion participation policy and insists on bullying his way in and participating anyway, the table administrator should and it's within his rights to withhold the elements in order to uphold the purity of the church and to avoid facilitating sin and participation in the in divine judgment. And uh, it can be awkward, um, and you want to do as much as you can to keep that from being some some sort of a public scandal here. At the same time, there's a lot of stake when someone eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, right? Which leads to the last question: Couldn't doesn't this look unloving? Maybe that's why we explain it month by after month, right? so that people understand why they're included or excluded you know you're excluded well not because we don't like you or don't think you're saved or don't think you're a christian but 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 because you don't meet what we have discerned the qualifications of communion in the bible to be okay and so it so, so it so gives an explanation month by month who is and who is not permitted to participate in the table. So I wrap things up by saying here, if the Lord's table can be reduced to a simple memorial of the death of Christ for individual sinners, then the rite can be practiced rather loosely. It's a Christian ordinance, very few restrictions on its practice. But since the Lord's table is also an act of community, that secures the unity and purity of the gathered church, then the details become important. And this being the case, the practice of close communion commends itself as the most biblically and theologically viable expression of the Lord's table. I'm pretty sure that's what you practice there in the community, correct? Okay. Questions as we wrap up this section? I, I, I suppose I, I'm, I'm throwing it open for really anything, any, any lingering questions you have really from the whole semester. Uh, this wraps up our, our, our notes. Uh, but do you have any questions on this specifically or anything that we just didn't cover? Yes, Linda.
1: Have you heard of anyone that has been excluded um, in, in your experience or have you seen it?
0: I have. I've seen it done well and I've seen it done poorly. Okay. Okay. Uh, I've seen it where where a sort of a heavy handed authoritarian person says, "Don't let him have it,"
1: Mm. which
0: really blows the service. And I've also seen it as okay. There's a person here. He's he causes trouble in churches. He is if he eats, he's eating in an unworthy manner. Okay, so you deacons, you're this you this he's in your section. Mm. Okay. So I want you rather than just passing it up and down the row to just sort of carefully make it so it just doesn't, the, the, you know, it just doesn't pass out. Okay. And, and usually they don't, and, and typically they don't make a, a fuss over it. Uh, they just realize they've been excluded. It's kind of an embarrassing thing. They don't really want to draw attention to themselves. And so you, I've seen it done, done well. I've seen it done poorly. Yes.
1: Okay. Thank you. Sharon. Um, do you think, can you, can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can hear you. Okay.
1: Um, do you think that the pastor, should, any pastor, should give the qualifications um, before before the communion service? I know myself, I've met those qualifications, but I did not, if a person comes in from another church or they're looking for a church or something like that, um, would they necessarily be excluded or they they just felt like i'm a christian uh, i'm just looking for another church i should be able to go to communion
0: well i yeah, again that that's that's part of the problem people come in they don't know why your church does what it does and so that's why i think it's helpful to explain it briefly <laughs> but explain who can participate who can't participate and why I think I find it a lot of people, even even people who are accustomed to open communion, listen to that and say, you know, I, that's not the way I've done it over the years. But that's you know, they this church takes things seriously and and most people appreciate that. They're not insulted. They don't they and and since you explained, we it's not that we don't think you're saved. Okay. That's 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 not the issue here. Uh, so we're not trying to make a judgment call about whether you're saved. It's just the Bible says this is really important, and, and this is what the Bible says you have to do, and, and we take that seriously here. So if you don't meet the meet those things, again, we're not saying anything about your spiritual condition per se. It's just that this is our church's policy, and I think most people are are generally good with that. Uh, and if they're not. <laughs> You probably don't want them as members anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, Wes.
1: I it would seem, uh, knowing human nature, it would seem like uh, with the official position of a close communion, uh, it would seem like, if not carefully guarded, that it would kind of kind of slip into a open communion in practice de facto open communion right. where it's where you mean it to be close but you know especially right. larger the group
0: right and that's that's i i remember one time that uh dr mccune went to a church um, alumni you know he went to their church they were practicing communion there and and they didn't say anything they just said let's do communion now and they did it all and, and and Dr. McKeon went up to that alumni and said, you know, you didn't say who you, you, you didn't you didn't give the details. You have to do that every time. And he sort of dressed him down a little bit, not publicly, but, uh, you know, sort of dressed down as a, you, you, you need to be careful. You need to guard the table. It's really important. And so and so I, I've never done that. I haven't gotten perhaps to that. (laughs) I don't think I've gotten that stature yet, but uh, I I appreciated what Dr. McKean would do.
2: If you go to, a, don't know about all Catholic churches, we were at a wedding and they gave instruction. If you're not a Catholic in good standing, don't participate.
0: Yeah. Oftentimes, you know, the Catholics are much more strict about that than we are.
2: Right. And then there's, I mean, just a side note, but our President's been denied communion by several, uh, yeah. bishops. And,
0: yeah. And, and I, you know, I, when I, when I hear a Roman Catholic say, don't eat if you're not, if you don't meet the qualifications, I'm, I'm like, I'm fine with that.
2: Yeah. I was, you know, I understood I wouldn't partake with them anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, yeah, for many reasons, right? But, but, but at the same time, I, I think most, most people, if you get a, a gentle explanation of what we're doing here and, most people are like, okay, yeah, that's what the church does here. And I, can, I can acknowledge that. It's, I don't find this personally insulting. And uh, and that's why you have to do it, you know, carefully and gently every time.
1: One other thing. And, Mark, I want to just say that uh, this course here, you know, about, about people – that may be practiced and, uh, you know, Oh, Oh, that's always oh, supposed to be that way. I, I really appreciate the overall, the, your coverage of this, because this has been a very practical thing. And, and, you know, I've been saved for quite a while now. And, and yet, you know, some of this stuff was either, maybe, I don't know if it was not brand new, but you know, Oh Yeah. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Good <laughs> slap on the face. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You keep that in mind. So I appreciate the practical nature of this.
0: Okay, good. Okay. I'm glad for that. Yeah, got to keep the keep the bee and the Baptist there. So. <laughs> okay. Well, that I guess does it here. Uh, thanks for coming through. Thanks for sticking out through a. Uh, you know, hard semester here. So I'm, I'm glad. Thank to you so much. To together, yes.
1: Yeah, thank, you. thank you very much. Thank you very yeah.
0: much. I really yeah, appreciate awesome. it. It's okay. Awesome. And then uh, next semester, I think we'll do uh, eschatology or end time. So if you're interested in that, I suspect we'll be back in person. then in the, in the fall, I believe you're moving that way at the end of May. So I, I, that's my guess. Um, and so we'll probably plan on that. Hopefully get a few extra bodies, uh, doing that, okay?